Good morning. Uh, man, it's going to be a busy week, isn't it? Uh, but I'm so excited about it. Um, can I just say, um, if you haven't made plans to be at this, uh, you need to get there. I don't care how you get there, um, but you need to get there. If you need assistance with that, uh, we will get you there. Um, but this is going to be amazing. Uh, I know because, uh, man, the past two weeks have been nuts, right? Does it feel like the devil amped it up on anybody in the past couple of days? Um, yeah, um, that's how we know, right? Well, why would he? Why would he do anything if if we weren't about to see God do something, right? And uh, I just want to say, man, this is going to be amazing, and you don't want to miss this. And if you miss this, you're going to cry about it for another year um, because people are going to tell you stories, and uh, you're going to be like, I don't even believe that story. Um, so I'm, I want to say to get to that. Um, but I also want to say to bring somebody to that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I just want you to know that the church can come and gather around the cross all they want to. Um, but man, it means something different when we bring the lost in to gather around the cross. This is not a Christian entertainment event, although if you come, you probably will be. Um, <laughs> but I want you to know like the, the heart of this is that there's a city full of people that we've been praying for for what, three years now? And we're going to stop just praying and then go into action around that thought. Um, and I'll be honest, um, I'm going to show you the bill when we're done. And you're going to drop your jaw. Um, and I just want you to know God has provided every bit of that. Yeah. Right? And no matter what happens, um, that's what ministry is. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Ministry is not about a church coming together, getting in some chairs, and heaping up a big old pile of gold. Right? It's about ministering to people. And uh, we've kind of blown the doors off of ministering to people. Uh, (laughs) I just want you to know, but it's going to be worth it. Amen? Because God is faithful. So get there. Um, Bring somebody with you. Um, Somebody you've been praying for. um, Somebody you've been kind of hoping towards uh, the cross for maybe a couple years. Why don't you quit just praying and enact a little bit of action along with that prayer and see what God will do. Um, and then I want to follow that up by saying we're going to have one day uh, to sleep a little bit and then we're going to come back on Easter <laughs> and we're going to meet twice. Um, that sounds crazy, right? Look around. Uh, it sounds crazy this morning because uh, uh, I don't know what happened, but the world blew up today. Um, and uh, it sounds crazy, right? But it's not. If we want to see God do something, we've got to make room for God to do something. You've got 100 chairs, maybe God will send you 100 people, but what if we had 300, right? What would God do? Um, so I just want to say, um, come to one, come to both, do whatever <laughs> you feel like God wants you to do. If you're serving in one, that's great because you get to come to the other. It's the first time we've done that. That'll be fun. Um, but man, this week is going to be an exciting time in the life of our church, and I just want you to know it's going to be a transformational time in the life of our church, and then we're going to come back and we're going to kick butt all summer and uh, see what God will do if we'll just throw into what he's doing. So anyway, um, public service announcement, I guess. (laughs) This morning we're going to be in Luke again. Uh, It's been like six weeks in Luke, I think now. Um, We're going to be in Luke again this morning, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 22 
I'm so excited about this week, and, and, and Good Friday is always an awesome time uh, for me. I love to come around the cross and to come around the idea that Jesus, uh, the Son of God, right, shed his blood for you and me. That's an amazing truth, that, that God would come down to this place and that he would live a perfect life because you couldn't do it and I couldn't do it. And then at the end of that life, he would have heaped upon himself all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt of every one of us that would ever live and breathe on this planet. And then he would die in your place. That Jesus would physically take your death, right? That Jesus would physically take your nails. That he would physically take your cross, your crown, right? The sinner's crown, this crown of thorns. He would take your wrath, everything that owed to you, Jesus would take. That we had acquired this bill, this debt from our sin that we had warred against God and even good people, right? Right? Oh, I'm a good person. No, you're not, because the Bible says you're not. There are no good people, actually, um, because the standard is not me and you. The standard is you and God, and you just aren't God. And that God would take uh, all that debt that we owed, and he would heap that upon the Son, Jesus, and then crucify him in front of the whole world so that you and I could be forgiven. That's an amazing truth. And I love coming around that, but, man, there's so much stuff that in the last maybe 24 hours of Jesus' life happens that I don't want to miss that um, in, in, this, in this time. So this morning we're going to be again in Luke 22 and we're going to kind of um, enter the story in about verse 54, but can I give you some background first? Um, we talked about last week how about 6 o'clock on uh, Thursday, right before Friday, um, Jesus met with his disciples to eat what we would know as the Last Supper, right? He sat down around this table to celebrate Passover, a feast that had been celebrated all the way since God rescued his people, right, out of Egypt, out of captivity. He rescued his people, and every year they would sit down and they would have this feast to celebrate how he did that, and they would, they would sacrifice the spotless lamb, Right, and they would uh, they they would eat the lamb, and it's this meal that kind of would happen to come around the fact that God used a lamb to save His people from death. Isn't that crazy? The night before Jesus dies, they're already celebrating something that's set up years and years and years ago about how a lamb would separate would uh, would save God's people from death. It's no coincidence. And they sit down to eat this meal, and Jesus goes by the script, and, and you wouldn't know what the script is, and I wouldn't know what the script is, but there's a script, and they would say certain things. And when Jesus got to one part of the meal where he took this bread, he went off script and took this bread, and whatever he used to say, <laughs> he wouldn't say at this moment, he would tear this bread, rip this bread, and looking at this bread and looking at these people he loved, he, he said, this is my body, right? It's broken for you. The disciples would have heard that and thought, what in the world is he talking? That's not actually, sir, that's not what you're supposed to say. Can you go back and do it the, the other way? But Jesus in this moment was prophesying, I'm about to be killed for you. My body is about to be broken for you takes the cup and again goes off script and instead of saying whatever he would normally say, he looks at him and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Again, this idea Jesus is sharing with these men, I'm about to be killed for you. See, when Jesus sat down at dinner that night, maybe everybody else at the table didn't know what was going on, but Jesus was very aware that his life on earth was winding down. 
And he sits down with these guys and he starts talking about the truth of the cross. After he does that, he predicts one of the guys at the table is going to betray him. I think this is the craziest part in the story to me because they're all like, oh, is it me, Lord, right? Peter, John, the disciple Jesus loves, like all these guys, oh, is it me, is it me? Like they don't know. But what's even crazier about that to me is there's a man at the table who is the betrayer. And the other 11 guys have no idea. Isn't it crazy that nobody was like, oh, I bet it's Judas. <laughs> that dude is a scoundrel. He, hey, he steals your money. Like nobody, nobody's saying any of these things because nobody knows because Judas, right, fits in with these other guys. He can sit at the same table and have a completely different heart. And nobody knows it. They get up from the table, they go to the garden, as we talked about last week, and Jesus looks at the disciples, he says, stay here and pray that you don't enter into temptation. And what he was saying is temptation to run because I'm about to be killed. And Jesus goes about a stone's throw away and he prays this amazing prayer. He says, hey, God, um, if there's another way, I'm going to sign up for that because the cross sounds horrible. But nevertheless, right, not your will, but mine be done. He gets up from this prayer, and at that moment, um, Judas enters the garden, right? And that's where we enter kind of the story this morning. In 54, it says they seized him, uh, him being Jesus, and they being the mob. They came and they took Jesus by force, right? And they led him away. And they brought him into the high priest's house. So they went to the garden like Judas told them Jesus would be at. Judas went up and he kissed Jesus on the cheek. Jesus says, "Uh, will you betray me with a kiss? This is all going down. And then the authorities take Jesus and they lead him away um, in captivity to the high priest's house where Jesus would await what would eventually be his trial before the Sanhedrin two times and then be brought to Pilate before he would be crucified. And it says that while all this was happening, um, Peter was following at a distance. I I think when I hear this, this sticks out to me as something crazy because um, in this moment, Peter is following Jesus from far away. Maybe that doesn't sound weird to you because maybe Peter's trying to avoid being taken. Obviously, if they would take Jesus, they would take the disciples. But think about that. Peter here, a man who had walked on water, literally, right? A man who had been so close to Jesus, a man who was so close actually that he was the first one to proclaim Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And this moment is far from Jesus. Now you, you can look at that and like me, you can, you can kind of blame Peter, but can you really? See, the truth of it is Peter was afraid in this moment, right? He had just seen them take his best friend, the man that he'd run around with for like three and a half years, the man that he'd left everything to follow. He had just seen him be taken into captivity. And if they didn't know what was going on at dinner, they're getting a little more aware of it at this point in time. He was afraid, man, if they would take Jesus, what will they do to me? So Peter comes along and he, he starts following behind Jesus at a distance. 
because of fear. In 55, it says, when they got there, they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together. All these people, again, are the people that arrested Jesus. They took him to the high priest house and then they sat down in the courtyard and they made a fire. It was going to be a long night. It was dark. There were no street lamps or, you know, KUB wasn't there in Jerusalem and they they were going to be there for a while. Maybe it's cold, I have no idea, but they built a fire and they sat down around this fire because they were going to stay and see what was going to become of Jesus. But it says that Peter sat among them. Now he's went from I'm going to follow far behind to I'm going to blend in, right? This is a pretty bold move, actually, if you think about it. Peter, a disciple who had been seen with Jesus every time Jesus was seen for three and a half years, is now going to come and sit down with the very people that captured him and, and kind of sit and hang out in the fire. He's going to try to blend in. This is in 56, when a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. I don't know how long it had been since they'd been sitting around this fire, but if you can imagine this going down. Have you ever been like in the, in the Walmart or something and saw somebody and you knew that you knew them, but you weren't quite sure where you knew them from, so you're staring and you're hoping they don't catch you stare because that's kind of awkward. This is going down around the fire. Peter's sitting there, and, and apparently there's this servant here, and she's just staring at him. So the light flickers on his face, and she's thinking, who is this guy who uh, I've seen this guy somewhere before? And then it comes to her. And she says, uh, man, this guy was with him being Jesus too. This is one of the disciples. And it says in 57, he denied it. And he said, actually, woman, I don't know him. That's what Peter said. For fear, maybe, who knows. But can you imagine Peter saying this? Peter, like, walked on water. Peter, saying this. Peter, like, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, saying this. Peter, actually, uh, the guy who just a few moments ago was so brave that he cut off one of the servants of the high priest's ear to try to rescue Jesus is now sitting around trying to blend in with everybody else. And somebody notices him, and he looks back, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. I do not know him. Peter, who just a few moments ago, oh, I will, I will go to death with you. That Peter is now here at the moment of, I've never seen this guy before, crazy lady, back off. Apparently, that was a pretty convincing argument because she doesn't continue to question him, right? You ever think stuff in the Bible's weird like that? Woman, I don't know him. Oh, okay, awesome. 58, um, after a little while, it says someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Someone else looks at Peter in this moment and says, hey, um, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of those guys. You, you, I've seen you before. You've been with Jesus. So you, you know, like we, I was there when, when you broke the bread, maybe, and he fed 5,000 people and you were there. Maybe this guy saw that. I was there when uh, Jesus healed that guy through the roof. I I saw that. You're one of them. Maybe this guy saw that. Whatever it was, this guy noticed that Peter here had had been with Jesus. And Peter again answers back, and he says, Man, I am not. Exclamation point, right? 
Again here, Peter, this guy who's so close to Jesus just a few maybe even moments ago now because of fear has yet again the second time. I don't know who you are. I've never seen them do. I don't know where you're getting your information from, but I'm not him. This is in 59, about an hour later. Another kept insisting. A little bit different personality type here. This man was certainly with him since he is also a Galilean. Surely we could have come up with a better argument than that, right? Every Galilean is a disciple now. Jesus went from like 12 to, you know, all of the northern region of Israel. Everybody up there, they follow Jesus. It's not a very good argument, but still, this man's sitting around, and now he's not talking to Peter. Oh, I bet you're a disciple, aren't you? You're, oh, you, yep, you got the right disciple clothes on. You must be a disciple. Now he's looking at everybody else. No, this guy right here, this guy is one of them. He is a disciple. I've seen him before. He's a Galilean. He must be, right? Flawed logic, <laughs> but the argument nonetheless. It's kind of like saying, oh, they got a suit on on Sunday. They're probably a Christian, right? <laughs> or, oh, they go to Cracker Barrel about 1230. They're probably a Christian, right? <laughs> Kind of how we sometimes define it too. But this guy looks and he says, hey, this guy is a Galilean. He must be a disciple of Jesus. And in 60 it says, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea who you're talking about. I, I may be a Galilean, yes, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. Three times. Again, he comes back out with, nope, I don't know him. Never seen him. He's not my Lord. I don't know what you're talking about. I am not a disciple. Does anybody else think that's like crazy that this is Peter here? Like maybe if it's like Bartholomew because we don't know much about that guy. Or like Thomas because he had like a doubt problem. But like Peter here. Peter that Jesus said actually in the Bible, upon this rock I will build my church. That Peter. Right. Peter that was in the boat, Jesus walks up on the shore and he's like, hey, how about you follow me? And he jumps out of the boat, leaves all his stuff, leaves his family, leaves his business, and he follows Jesus around for three and a half years. That Peter. Peter that walked on the water. Hey, if it's you, bid me come to you. Oh, okay, cool. Now come on out here. And he walks on the water literally to Jesus. That guy. Peter who has sat through miracle after miracle and experienced time after time again the power of God in the person of Jesus over and over again. And yet in this moment, because Jesus has been arrested, because fear has crept in, because he thinks, oh, my life may be at stake, right? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. See, in this moment, Peter was so concerned about his life, he denied the Savior. He was so concerned about his safety, right? Maybe his happiness, maybe his longevity, who knows? He denied the Savior, and not only once, like it had been okay one time, you know? Oh yeah, just whatever, I don't know that Jesus guy. Maybe once. But then like God gave him another shot, right? Oh, you'll get it better this time. And then again, he denies him. I don't know who you're talking about. You'd think, okay, two times, right? 
And again, he gives him another shot. And the third time in front of not only one or two people, but in front of the whole crowd talking to this man. No, I don't know who you're talking about. I am not one of his. Three times he denied the Savior, a man that he said just a few hours ago, I will go all the way to death with you. And it says immediately in that moment, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And you may not think anything about that, but if you've heard this before, you know that just a little bit back in the, in the story, Jesus had told him in verse 31, Simon, Simon, or Peter, Peter, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is what Jesus says to him. Peter answers back, um, Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison. Wow. And to death. I'll go with you wherever life takes me. And I believe you meant it in that moment. And this is what Jesus says back to him in 34. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times. In this moment, look how many verses back we are, like what, 23 verses back now. Jesus looks at him and he already says, no, the rooster is going to crow three times, or you're going you're to deny me three times before the rooster even wakes up this morning, right? No, 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 not me. Do you know Jesus? No. You know Jesus? No. Never seen the guy. You know Jesus? I don't know him. And in that moment, the rooster crows, right? As he's still saying, as the words are coming out of his mouth, and it says in 61, then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And if it wasn't bad enough, right? I mean, I know I've denied you three times, but you don't have to look at me. In this moment, the rooster crows and, and, and Jesus turns and he looks at Peter. Now, Jesus is inside the house, so it had to be through a window or a door. But Peter has strategically placed himself around the fire where he can see Jesus the entire time. He's looking at Jesus and denying Jesus at the same time. I want you to know that. He sees Jesus in, in the room, in the door, kind of in the house, and he's sitting around the fire, and he can see Jesus, but he's far from Jesus. And, and, and somebody asks, do you know Jesus? No. Maybe the first time it was kind of quiet. No, I don't know what you're talking about. The second time maybe he's a little louder. No, I've never seen the guy before. The third time, I think maybe out of frustration, he's yelling it. Now quit asking me. Like, no, I don't know who Jesus is. The rooster crows and Jesus turns around and he looks right at him. And at that moment, it said Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him just a few hours ago, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And it says he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now, weeping is not just like I'm misting up a little bit. This is hard, right? Weeping is a crying with intensity. And bitterly is, is a word that actually means painfully. And a synonym for that is heartbreakingly. 
And Peter recognizes at that moment what he's done, it breaks him. Something shifts in him the first time. It doesn't seem there was maybe even any regret. He's like, oh, I can make excuses for it, right? It's for my safety. Like, I'm just trying to, what's it going to help if I'm in there with him? If I kill him and they kill me, it's not really going to help anything, right? But man, three times in when Jesus turns and looks at him and he realizes, man, Jesus is actually seeing me deny him right now. Uh, I may be mumbling it, but he knows Something snaps in him and it shifts in him and it says that he got up from that place and he left and he was weeping, like crying intensely and painfully. And this is the point in the time in the story where a lot of times we hear how Peter was such a bad guy at this time, right? I can't believe Peter would do that. Well, I can't but then I can to can, right? We've read this story maybe a hundred times, and maybe when we read it, we kind of get a little angry with Peter, like, I can't believe, man, you're Peter. You saw such amazing things. if, If I walked on water, I don't think I would do that, right? But man, at this point in time, do you realize that Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit, a gift that you have if you know Jesus? No price has been paid so no salvation has come at this moment and we look at Peter and we try to shame Peter I can't believe he would do that I can't believe he would do that but the truth of it is this morning haven't we all in turn done pretty much the same can I ask a question this morning how many of you um, can sit here and be honest this morning and say I'm closer to Jesus today than I've ever been Maybe for some of you, that's a true story, but for some of us, that's not. And you're living off moments of, man, you remember when I used to? You remember when he used to? Remember when? If you're living in remember when, there's a problem. Maybe some of you have never even bothered to get close to Jesus. I mean, I said the prayer. It's great. Following closely is a dangerous thing. Get right up in the same space, right? See, the truth of it is, for most of us, when we got saved, if we're even there, um, we prayed prayers that were something like, God, I give you my life. Right? God, I surrender to you God I make you Lord of my life maybe if you're kind of old school but how many of you is that actually true for today how many of us today can say man I've, I've surrendered everything to God it's all his see in reality Peter denied Jesus with his lips three times but how many of us in this room have denied him over and over again with our life See, the truth of it is, if you hold back something, if you deny Jesus something in your life, you are already denying Jesus. Maybe not to the crowds, but to you. So we look at Peter and we're like, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would do that. Maybe it's, I can't believe I would do that. 
I can't believe that I would hold back on him. I can't believe that I would be content with giving some when he gave everything. But can I just maybe share something for you? For those of us who have denied Jesus, maybe some of us in a greater way than others, maybe some of us, I got saved and I just completely turned away. Maybe some of us, I'm just not giving him everything. Can I, can I just share something with you? This is not where Peter's story ends. Actually, even in the prediction of the denial, Jesus says, um, Hey, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like we. Satan wants to destroy you. But I have prayed for you, Jesus about Peter here, that your faith may not fail. And listen to this. And you, when you have turned back. Jesus in the statement implies he will turn away. Oh, you're going to screw up bad. They're going to be talking about it 2,000 years from now at Overflow <laughs> Gathering about how horrible you were uh, being a disciple because you're going to deny me three times, big boy. Like, you, oh, I'm going to go to death with you. You're so full of crap. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster even wakes up, and he's waking up early for you on <laughs> Friday because this is about 2 a.m. You're going you're gonna to mess it up. But when you're done messing it up, when you've turned back, look at what he says, I, I have a job for you. I got something for you to do. You, yeah, you, you're going to deny me three times, but thank God Jesus is not on the three structure out policy, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, lady's going to ask you, you're going to deny me. Man's going to ask you, you're going to deny me. Campfire's going to ask you, you're going to deny me. But it's okay because you're going to turn back. And when you turn back, I, I have a job for you. I want you to strengthen and build up your brothers. Jesus says, oh, you're going to screw up, and when you're done with that, I'm going to put you in a leadership position in the church. Isn't that crazy? Oh, I can't do anything. I've messed up so bad. Yeah. You're making stuff up and putting it in the Bible then. Because Peter here, who had seen such great things and experienced such great things, denies Jesus, and then Jesus says, when you come back, I've got a job for you. Oh, I know you're going to mess up. You've not even done it yet. You're already forgiven. When you come back, I have a job for you. I want you to strengthen and build up your brothers. I'm going to put you in charge of the church. Can, can I just let you know that Peter did turn back? Actually, Peter turned back to such a point where after Jesus had died, and was resurrected, right? On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the first message. He was the first one to preach the gospel after the resurrection of Jesus. The guy who denied Jesus three times. He steps up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches this message about how these people had, had, had killed the Son of God. And it says that 3,000 people entered, 3,000 plus people actually, entered the church that day and were baptized. Oh, I can't do anything. I've done this. I've done that. Yeah, you're shorthanding God a little bit. 
Actually, even beyond that, oh, you just flip back in your Bible first, second Peter. This guy who denied Jesus three times wrote this set of books. Peter became a leader in the church. He became an evangelist, a church starter. That's who he became after he turned back. This morning, it's not a message that says, oh, we've all denied Jesus in our hearts, so let's just pack it up and sit in a chair for the rest of our lives and pout about how bad at following Jesus we are. Because that was never the plan of God. See, in reality, we all are screw-ups. You're a screw-up. I'll, I'll say it, right? Amen. 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 You are. You messed up today. You're going to mess up tomorrow. You'll mess up three weeks from now. You've messed up three months ago. You're going to mess up. And with your actions and with your life over and over again, you're going to make decisions, hopefully less in the future than in the past, that say, God, I don't want people to know I believe in you. How many times this week have you had the opportunity to say, God loves you to somebody? That's denying Jesus if you didn't. How many times this week have you had the opportunity to say, man, God loves you and he died for you this week. If you didn't, you denied Jesus. How many times this week have you had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who's hurting, broken, and needs life to step in, but you didn't do it? That's denying Jesus every time you don't. Every time you don't share the gospel, you deny Jesus. It's not just about when somebody asks you, Every time that you choose to live contrary to what this word says, you're denying Jesus. You're a practical atheist. I know what the word says, but I don't want to do it. That's atheism. Maybe in your head you believe, but in your life you don't believe. Practically, you're an atheist. Paul even says, man, let our lives be lived in a manner that's worthy, that adds up to the gospel that we hold. Amen? But I just want you to know, even in our mistakes and our failures and our screw-ups, that God still has a purpose and a plan for us. He didn't save you to put you on the bench. He saved you to put you on the team. There actually is no dugout, right, in the kingdom of heaven. There's nowhere for the, the, the slackers or the not-as-goods to sit because there's not any slackers and not-as-goods. He put everybody on the team. And yeah, you're, you're going you're gonna to miss swings, right? You're going to miss swings. And yeah, you're going you're, you're gonna to not catch every pitch that God throws at you. <laughs> it's true. But he has a plan and a purpose and a job for you. And this morning, I just want to say to those of us that are following far away, because there's a room full of us, right? How many times you read your Bible this week? You're following far away. Oh, I go to church. Who cares? Pat on the back. God commanded you to meet with him once a week. God, the creator of the universe, who said, oh, I'll come and I'll live in you and be part of your life, and I want a relationship with you. Oh, meet me on Sunday. That was part of that. You don't read your word. You're following far away. And eventually you're going to blend in, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to know the difference. Maybe nobody does. If you go to work and nobody knows, then nobody knows, and that's on you. And that's denial. And that's the beginning following far away, right? When the end result is denial. 
But I just want you to know that, man, you have two options this morning and one's not going to do anything. Oh, man, I'm following far away. I can't believe it. I'm such a bad guy at this. I'm just going to continue to do the same thing forever and beat up on myself, which doesn't actually fix anything. Jesus already took all the guilt, so it's not a guilt thing this morning. Right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation in those in Christ Jesus. It's not about beating yourself up because it doesn't fix anything. Or we can correct it this morning. And we can say, you know what? I'm going to not follow far away anymore. I'm going to read. I hate to read. How many of you hate to read? It's a real question. How many hate to read? Anything. I don't like to read at all. How many of you have a Facebook or a Twitter and waste hours and hours upon hours reading? You hate to read the Bible. Do it anyway. Maybe one day you'll like it. If not, read it anyway until you die. Oh, I have a hard time praying. It's great. I have a hard time talking on the phone, but I have to do it sometimes. <laughs> you can make excuses or you can make the choice, right? Oh, I can't. Uh, it's true. If you don't want to, you never will. But you can. I just, I'm longing for the day, right, that we decide that God didn't save us just to come sit in a room once a week but he saved us so that we could be close to him and so that we could see the power of God in the person of Jesus in our lives every day. But as long as we continue to deny the power of God and the person of God in our lives every day, we'll never see anything change. Amen? Amen. I'm going to keep saying it until you respond, so even if you don't agree, say it back. Amen. Amen. How many, how many of us, don't raise your hand because I already know the answer. How many of us are capable of being close to Jesus? Everybody in the room. If you're not, it's because you don't want to be. Let's just be real. Oh, I've tried. Have you? How many of you have sought out somebody that is and asked how? Then you've not tried. It's true. And every time we make the decision to not, we're denying him. Because every one of us that are quote-unquote saved this morning, whether it's real or not, have prayed, God be Lord of my life. God, I surrender to you. God, I give you my life. Because it's just not an impressive prayer to say, I give you my Sunday. When will we mean what we say? But here's the encouragement this morning. You don't have to stay there. Amen? Can I, can I just speak these words over us this morning? When you have returned, strengthen and build up your brothers. Amen. When you get it together, and I hope you do, why don't you just be used? When, when, when you let God take control of your life, why don't you do something with it? See, the truth of it is this morning, God calls us, right, a city on a hill. 
a light in the darkness. And if that's the truth, we can't hide it. We can't follow far behind. And we can't blend in. We have to engage and shine. So for those of us this morning, um, it's going to sound crazy, but who cares? Um, It's a great Sunday to do it because there's not as many people here um, that are following far behind. This morning, uh, you need to admit that to yourself and to God and not really care about who sees it. Amen? I've been there. Those of us today who are trying to blend in and just live like nothing ever changed in us, sitting around the campfire with all the people trying to kill Jesus, right? That can't be an option for us anymore. And we need to admit that. Because as long as we're following far behind and sitting around the campfire, Jesus' sacrifice is for nothing because nobody is ever going to notice and nobody's ever going to be changed. And the church is going to continue to be on the decline, not this church, but every church, when God died for the whole world. Let's pray.